It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition. It's it's Thursday, right, Madeline? Uh, yeah, I had that wrong earlier today, but it does turn out it is okay, Thursday. It is Thursday. Indeed, yes. All, all the days do blend together here at the <laughs> NFL do. Combine. Uh, we're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by AWS, proud partner of the New York football giants. We're here at the NFL Combine. We're going to lead off with Madeline Burke here. we got a whole lot more coming your way. We're going to be joined by Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus, Art Stapleton, uh, Chris Brown from the Bills, Fran Duffy talking draft from the Eagles, Jen Pack Show. Make sure Colleen you stay Wolf stopping by. Yeah, Colleen Wolf was off mm-hmm. enough on that work. Thank you. Um, and Madeline will talk to her. So let's start here. We were talking to the offensive lineman today. Yeah. Obviously something of a lot of interest to Giant fans. Mm-hmm. And a lot of impressive stuff, but I'm not sure if anyone was more impressive than Ikea Kwanu. Yeah, he might have just become my new favorite. Uh, mostly just because of the, the person. I mean, there was a lot of personality with this guy. And also, I'm sure you guys can all hear too. We are about... 40 feet away from the bench press, which yes. is actually happening right now. So you'll be hearing a lot of yelling and cheering and uh, grunting, perhaps. Grunting, yes. Yeah, hopefully not too bad. Good grunts. They are actually um, cheering for us. Yeah, they're just really happy to be part of the Our UK. questions are fantastic <laughs> and they love them. They love them. They love them. But Ikki Aquanu, um, really charming person, lights up. He's just like, I just love dominating people and just really lights up when talking about football. But the other thing, too, is as much as he loves football, he's got range. This man was bragging about his time in musical theater. He has been in Jungle Book. He has True. been in Aristocats. He had a starring role in 101 Dalmatians, played Pongo. Uh, Is Pongo a dog? I guess it's the dad dog in dad 101 dog. Okay. Dalmatians. I've not seen that movie in quite a, a while. very important role in the uh, in the production. <laughs> and he was very proud of that. Gave a shout out to his music teacher. Also, uh, he was accepted to Harvard and Yale. Yes. Like, smart, smart guy. And, it, he, and it comes off that way, it too. It comes off that way. And he's smart and... Uh, he really it's he's so well balanced but he also just absolutely he's like i feel like a kid when i get on the football field um you know tweeting out some of his sound bites i know a lot of giants fans out there were just lighting up and and somebody responded to my tweet actually and said uh i can't wait until icky aquanu meets andrew thomas and finds out at plays the piano the musical theater duo right there. We're gonna that O line room. If the Giants get him at five, you know, or seven, that would be incredible. Yeah, certainly. I think after today and after mm-hmm. he works out, it'll be less likely he's gonna be sitting there at five because he's he's gonna be the star. Because Evan Neal said today he's not mm-hmm. gonna work out. Mm-hmm. Um, he, by the way, is six six, three hundred and thirty six pounds. He looks like he's three hundred and five pounds. He's the way a, he carries that weight is unbelievable. He looks like, like an NBA power forward. Right. Well, it's it's all muscle. Yeah. You know, he's it's, very he's it looks strong. It is yeah. a lean. If you can, if you can be a lean 340 pounds, mm-hmm. that's what Evan Neal is. Very impressive. Anyone else jump out to you today doing you know, your rounds? And, and by the way, yesterday we didn't talk about you either. So anything yeah. yesterday and today that, that you saw? Well, I think, you know, the other one today that stood out to me was Chris Paul, um, like a good neighbor. Uh, no, Chris Paul, the, uh, the offensive lineman, the big Chris Paul. And I asked him, you know, hey, it's got to be a unique experience growing up with the same name as the NBA player. He said, yeah, you know, it's been funny. There have been some awkward moments along the way, but... You know, he really leaned into it, and I'm sure he gets that question a million times a day, especially in an environment like that. But he was, you know, he had fun with it, and um, 
you know, he's also just very poised, very into mental health and is just very self-aware and a mature young man. You know, he said, when I talk, I'm talking to you, but I also understand I'm representing my family. I'm representing, you know, he was a part of uh, the union rep for the student athletes. And so he's like, I'm representing the 7,000 student athletes in our conference. He just has that awareness of the levity uh, of what he carries. And then, you know, yesterday we mentioned too, I think one of the most standout uh, media sessions from yesterday was quarterback Malik Wills. And he'll be doing his workouts today. He's not running the 40. Which is too bad because he would have no. killed that 40-yard dash. That. Yeah. He said, you know what? I'm a quarterback. I'm going to do the quarterback drills only. And I respect that. But, you know, a lot of the other quarterbacks, Carson Strong multiple times pointed out just how impressive or how impressed he is with Wills' athleticism. Wills is also very witty. You and know? he just seems very comfortable in his own skin, right? You yeah. Know? And it was like the, he had some moments where, you know, he would have these quips of like, Someone asked him, do you think you're the number one quarterback in this group? He said, I do, but, you know, I don't make that decision because I hate that for me. <laughs> it's just like everyone was in stitches. Or, you know, earlier in the session, he was asked to have an opinion on why this quarterback group isn't getting more attention. He said, you know, I don't know. I don't have an opinion. And then later on, he was answering another question and had a kind of a longer answer and realized, you know what? I do. And he goes, I do have an opinion. And that was it. And it was like, nice callback. Very quick witted. Um, Keep yeah. going. More answers, Madeline. One I more know, time. One more answer. Let's go. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> he was, he was, but it was just like he was somebody that like quickly endeared himself to the media. He's got a lot of raw talent and I'm sure he'll do well sitting behind a veteran for a year because, you know, you watch the highlight reels and you're like, wow, he's having yeah. some Houdini moments coming in with guys coming at him. But of course, he's playing in more of a high school system and it's going to take some time to learn that that college or that NFL level uh quarterback position but he's got a lot of raw skill and then tomorrow folks we're going to have media availabilities with the big guys up front on defense we'll have mm -hmm. defensive linemen and linebackers Madeline and I will be there and she'll be joining us back on the show to and kick off our show on Friday at noon one other shout out too I just have yes. to say Virginia tight end Jelani Woods 24 reps on the bench Ooh, press. He went good. last, and way to finish strong. The entire tight end group was just like, and another one, and another one. It felt like <laughs> DJ Khaled out there. But yeah, he really, he really nailed that. And Madeline will rejoin us in uh, about 15 minutes or so when she's joined by Colleen Wolf from NFL Network. Good stuff, Madeline. We appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. We'll be back with Austin Gale right after this. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by AWS, proud sponsor of the New York Football Giants. My man Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, how are you, man? Doing great, man. It's great to be back in Indianapolis. It has been an eventful week, a fun one for sure. No question. We found someone that can actually talk faster than me, which is actually <laughs> shocking, uh, knowing how quickly I, I, I like to flap the lips. First of all, uh, tell us about the podcast. Mm -hmm. used to be two-for-one drafts. Yeah. It's rebranded. Yep. Tell us about it. Absolutely. So, yeah, Mike Renner and I, the lead draft analyst at PFF, we got a podcast now called Tailgate, focusing on college football, the NFL, the draft. And then I'm also doing a new podcast. I've got another co host as well, Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan defensive end. He and I are sitting down for about four episodes to do some pre draft content. We're really excited to really just tell his story, right? Like his family is so supportive in this process, talking to his coaches, talking to his players, and you all get the same story, just like this leader on and off the field, and I think he's going to be you know, one of the more impressive human beings in this class, for sure. And probably one of the safest picks, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, I joke, when he does his 30 visit with mm -hmm. the Lions, Dan Campbell might, like, strap him down oh in gosh. the basement of the stadium and not let him leave. I, I've said this for a while. His floor is two. I mean, if he gets past Dan Campbell and what they're trying to build at Michigan, or in Michigan there at Detroit, I, I do feel I'd be floored. I'd be floored if he gets past two. I think there's a good chance he goes one as well. Alright, let's dip into these PFF grades you have on some of these prospects that Giant fans are really pumped up about. Mm -hmm. Offensive line first. The impression you get from NFL people is that it's Neil Equanu in some order, 
big drop off next group. Mm-hmm. You guys don't see it that way. We don't. And I, I do think it's because you know when you're looking at the NFL draft, so much of the conversation is about what will these offensive line prospects be in two, three years time, right? And Evan Neal in two, three years time could be an all pro, right? Could be this, you know, this generational offensive tackle with how he holds his frame and, and the type of player that he is. And then Iki Aquanu is very similar. The NC State offensive tackle has inside outside versatility, as does Evan Neal, and he's gonna be super explosive. He's gonna test really well here in Indianapolis and you draft him what they could be. Iki Kwanu and Evan Neal are nowhere near as good as Charles Cross is right now. That's why we feel... Especially Miss- in pass pro. Exactly. Mississippi State offensive tackle Charles Cross is a smooth-moving offensive tackle that has, like, mastered pass protection this previous year. He was talking on the podiums today. It's like, what tape should people watch of your run blocking? He said all of them, in Alabama mostly. I mean, he is a really confident kid. I think Charles Cross is wrongly getting dropped in this class because he's not the insane athlete that obviously, um, you know, Evan Neal and Iquanu are, but he's still a really good athlete, a good enough athlete as well, where I think you still should consider him in the top 10. It's funny. I had Daniel Jeremiah on here uh, yesterday, I think, all these days blend together. And I asked him, like, you know, Daniel, how much does Andre Dillard shade your evaluation of Charles Cross? He says, you know what? It might a little bit. And yeah. it has me a little bit nervous because mm-hmm. you come from that system how well does that system translate to the NFL? Yeah, no, it's tough. And I think that's going to be the conversation with him because of Andre Dillard. Also, if you remember way back when, Joel Dahl, right, that was a lot of conversation coming yep. out of a Mike Leach system. I think the difference for me is Charles Cross improving with in-pass protection there. And, like, the technique is, is so sound. The technique is so sound for Charles Cross that I feel, of all the tackles, honestly, the most confident in starting him in a pass-heavy offense day one than I do some of the top offensive tackles. Now, can he be what Evan Neal could be with the right coaching and the right development? Can he be what Aquanu could be? Probably not, but I do think that if you're looking for like immediate help along the offensive line and like a high floor contributor, in my opinion, too, Charles Cross is that guy. Now, at the top of the draft, that's not what people covet. You know, the teams covet high-end traits, high-end talents that could be blue-chip generational players for their team, especially when you're drafting in the top 10. Now, I'm no longer a believer and I have been for a couple years that there's any difference between right tackle and left tackle now Mm -hmm. because half the time, teams are putting their best pass rusher over the right tackle now rather than the left. But Cross has not played a lot of right tackle. Mm -hmm. Would that be a concern for you for a team like the Giants, or would you consider sliding Andrew Thomas over, who did play yeah. a season at Georgia right tackle? How would you manage that risk? It obviously depends on you know where you're investing along the offensive line. With Andrew Thomas, he has so much versatility. He can play guard, he can play left tackle, he can play right tackle. With Cross, you probably want to maintain that development. You want to keep him at left tackle if you do bring him in. That would be my thought, and too. The, right. and, and that's another reason why, though, like Aquanu and Neal are coveted. They, they have that inside-outside versatility. Neal could play left guard, right guard, right tackle, left tackle, whatever you want, and having those like five-tool offensive linemen is hi- highly highly covered, especially in an NFL where like Joe Tooney for the Kansas City Chiefs played left tackle down the stretch, right? When you get injuries along the season, especially in a 17-game regular season now, you need offensive linemen that can play multiple positions, so you're not down a weak link, you know, when you get into the postseason. You know, the way I kind of, I do my express evaluations to get ready for this, so I have a feel for all the guys, mm-hmm. and I watched all of Thibodeau's sacks, pressures, quarterback hits. Nice. Thanks to you guys at PFF, Love you sorted that for us. <laughs> Thank you for that. And I'm like, wow, this guy is awesome. Mm-hmm. But then... I talk to enough people and they're like, well, John, watch full games. Yeah. Watch one game, then watch the next. So mm-hmm. how does your grading reflect some of that inconsistency for him? It, it, it absolutely does, right? It's a guy who's never graded really on the high end in PFF system. No 90-plus grades from him specifically as a pass rusher. He does not win consistently in the true pass set situations. Everyone brings up you know, his character and is he committed to football and he's uh, you know, he lets off in games. That shows up in PFF grades. right? Like, that shows up in our production grades. That's why Aiden Hutchinson graded as well as he did and why other players that are consistent 
consistently winning, right? That's what PFF pass rushing grades are at the collegiate level. Are you consistently winning, consistently beating the offensive tackle through all snaps of the game? That's what's going to give you that high-end grade. For Thibodeau, you do see that, right? I was talking to Bucky Brooks of NFL Media. It's like he is this boomer bust player, literally snap to snap, right? Is he going to give you 100% or is he going to give you half of that on certain snaps? And I do think in the NFL, things are different, right? And I don't like, I hate knocking players for effort or lack of effort that you see on tape because a lot can change and a lot of rationale behind that. Like, did you wake up sick or whatever it may be? I think talking to Thibodeau is the most important thing you can do. Talking to Thibodeau, what he wants to do, and his answers to those questions are so much more important than turning on the tape and say he lets off the gas a little bit sometimes. I also think he has to test really well, mm-hmm. right? Because if you have these questions already and then he doesn't test as a super elite athlete and you're like, well, maybe the upside isn't what we thought it yeah. was, that's probably going to be a pretty important thing for him this week, right? 100%. 100%. He does look explosive on tape. I don't think he's going to test poorly, right? It'd be very difficult for him to come here and be like a 25th, 30th percentile athlete. He's but... not Chase Young Bendy, though. No, no, not at all. Not, yeah. I don't think there's a Chase Young Bendy in this class, right. probably. But I do think that he can still be this, like, upper echelon 67 percentile athlete if you do clear those bars it's important the only data point i have beyond the tape is talking to bruce Feldman from the athletic who does the bruce Feldman's reach list thibodeau's not on there and we brought it up we had him on our podcast and i said hey like no thibodeau here and he's like honestly you know thinking through some organ dies organ ducks i could have put on here thibodeau wasn't the first name they're mentioning so there is i mean again that's a lot of anecdotal conversation but there is not this expectation that he's going to come in and torch it like obviously chase young had and agent hutchinson or or david jabo or like some of these other guys correct how about that next group of edge rushers let's Mm -hmm. talk about that uh how quickly should you start considering these guys? You know, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, Tavon Walker, for example, to mm-hmm. the Giants. He watches tape. He almost looks like an interior defensive lineman <laughs> the way they use him, right? But he told me, he said, John, I swear to you, he is going to blow this place up the way he tests. Oh, so he's going to. How do you then sort through that next group for the Giants? Do you consider somebody else at seven? Do you try to trade down? Is there someone in the second round you think could be good? It is a deep edge class. How do you view the rest of that edge group? It's a very deep edge class, and the reason for that is, and anytime you're highlighting deep position groups in draft classes, it's draft classes, it's because you have a lot of guys meeting the size, athleticism threshold set by the NFL. Mm-hmm. This edge class, a lot of these guys have long arms. A lot of these guys are explosive and bendy, and and it can actually win as pass rushers with the size in the NFL. And that's why a Kingsley and Agbury from South Carolina who probably won't go inside the top 50 60 picks is still going to be a valuable producer for a team when he gets drafted you know in that day two range and for other guys that could go in the first round like Trayvon Walker the comparison I love for him is Rashawn Gary Rashawn Gary coming out of Michigan didn't have even near the level of production that Chase Winovich had but what did Gary have these absurd absurd tools right these absurd freaky things that teams want to bet on you give me Rashawn Gary I can turn him into an all pro in two years that's what a lot of coaches tell these decision makers in front offices I'll tell you what everyone's saying the same thing about Trayvon Walker. If you're a defensive line coach or a defensive coordinator, say, give me him two years. I'll turn him into an all-pro. That's interesting. Who are the guys that you like more at PFF that maybe the NFL mm-hmm. world and other you know, NFL scout analysts don't like quite as much. So I do think I'm higher on Kingsley and Agbury of South Carolina. He's been a really productive player in PFF's grading system, a guy that's consistently winning. The reason he's not going to be high on people's boards is because he's not Boye Mafe levels of athleticism. Maje Sanders is going to test better. I think Cameron Thomas of San Diego State might test better. Like practice at the senior way, Agbury was fantastic. Exactly. And Agbury, I mean, that guy, that guy wins, right? And like, 
you sometimes when you especially get to day two and you're not looking for these high-end Hall of Fame type of trades, you have to get the guys who play football well. And that's what Kingsley Nagbury has done. He came back to South Carolina to prove that when he was one of the older players on the team, when he's one of the more veteran players in college football, he's dominant. And he was so dominant for South Carolina this past year, also dominant at the Senior Bowl. I also like really, I really like Boye Mafe. Another person I'd highlight or prospect I'd highlight is Sky Moore, Western Michigan wide receiver who from Pittsburgh, favorite receiver in the NFL is who? Deontay Johnson. That's exactly the type of receiver Sky Moore is. Wins the line of scrimmage, very shifty. What he lacks in size, he makes up for in bursts. And you see him in press coverage against some bigger cornerbacks where maybe you think he'd have some you know, lack of success, but he's so shifty at the line, it's so difficult to actually get your hands on him, and that matters in the NFL. It's funny, I ran into him in the hall mm-hmm. just by circumstance. He like kind of walked into me. He's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Are you okay?" He's like the most polite <laughs> young awesome. man I've That's ever awesome. walked. He was it was unbelievable. He was mm-hmm. just a great, great kid. All right, let's go to the opposite side of the question. Who are some of the guys that the NFL seems to really like, and you guys are like, eh, push the brakes a little bit, boys? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I do think that Marvin Leal, right? I think the NFL is higher on him because of what he can be, and he has never been a big producer for Texas A&M. I think we're lower on him than others. Trevor Penning too. I think Trevor Penning's been drafted inside the top ten in a handful of mock drafts recently. He's coming to Indy. And he's going to blow it up. Everyone knows Trevor Penning is this absurd athlete. His broad jump is going to be insane. His 40 is going to be insane. But the tape wasn't great in pass protection. He had 16 penalties in the FCS this past year. That's the most I've ever seen from an offensive lineman. And I, I, I believe he led the, exactly. led, led the conference, he right? He did yeah. lead the conference in mm-hmm. penalties. And I think that's an area he has to clean up. He's got to clean up his pass protection. You know, so many of the highlights from the Senior Bowl for Penning were throwing guys in the dirt and laying on him a bit because he's this nasty, I think he called, you know, he's a nasty player. But I think. That nastiness needs to translate into like legit production as a pass protector in the NFL. I just think it will be more of a learning curve than people are expecting. Now, is he this athlete you want to bet on? Does he have this demeanor you want to bet on? Absolutely. But the production hasn't been there. And when you think about guys at PFF are going to be lower on than, say, some of the NFL guys, it's definitely going to be guys that don't have that production at the collegiate level. And there's not an obvious, obvious reason why they're not you know, they're not meeting those expectations. He might not want to throw guys into his own quarterback's legs, exactly. too. That might that also might, be something might be he might want to avoid. <laughs> Real quick follow-up on uh, Leal. Do you see him as a three-time? or a defensive end? Honestly, it's going to depend on the type of defense that he's in, what you ask him to do. I think he should probably play defensive end, but what he needs, the biggest thing he needs to do, and I think I was talking to his agent recently, play one position. Like, he's been thrown up and down the defensive line, and Mm -hmm. like, that versatility is awesome, and a lot of teams will covet him for that, but I think he needs to get better, so much better technically, that he can't afford to play, like, on the nose, three technique, on the edge, stand up. At that point, when you're a young player in, in, in college football, it's just so much more difficult to take that, you know, take it to the next level. Now there are guys that can handle that versatility and still produce. Aiden Hutchinson, when he, when Don Brown was still the defensive coordinator, played nose, three technique, defensive end, three, te- you know, three, three point stance, two point, all that stuff. And now play a lot more outside linebacker this year. Like there are guys who can pick it up really quickly and still produce, but some of them you need to kind of take things slower. Follow up quickly. Second round, let's say the Giants get shut out of offensive tackles at five and seven. Yeah. After Giant fans wake up from their stupors and they, <laughs> you know, they they shower off and they're like, all right, we can still do this. Mm-hmm. Who are the guys? And I wouldn't want to wait till the third round for an offensive tackle. I just think that's yeah. you're, you're playing with Especially fire in there. This class. Yeah. You get that fifth pick in, in, in the second round. Who are some of the guys that you would circle on your board if you're a Giant fan from PFS perspective that could outperform that draft slot down so, the road? So I really do like Darian Kennard, the Kentucky offensive tackle, who did play a lot of tackle at the Senior Bowl, but a lot of people are projecting him to play inside. But mm-hmm. he does meet the arm threshold at 34. Maybe he doesn't have the foot speed you want to play left tackle. But at right tackle, I think Kennard could have some success out of the game. And that's another player, too, right, where I think Kennard right away could be better than a lot of these other offensive tackles just with the experience that he has. Now, is Kennard going to be this world beater, you know, 
10-time All-Pro, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't have the traits or the historical success to do that. But I really like Kennard as a player right now. And again, I come back to that, especially on day two, day three. If you're an offense that's looking to insert rookies early, trying to find guys like a Cross, like a Kennard, that are already playing good football now. Just get I, a solid player, Exactly, right? just yeah. get a solid player. Maintain a floor in your draft rather than kind of chasing the high end. What was the production for Bernard Raymond? I know a lot of people think yeah. he has potential to be good, mm -hmm. extremely raw. What was his production like on so your grading? My podcast co-host, Mike Brenner, is really high on Bernard Raymond. Of any draft analyst, I think he's the highest at 15th on our board. We've talked to wow, Paul 15 Ale is yeah. high, yeah. We've talked to Paul Alexander, who's coaching him now. He's a former offensive line coach in the NFL. Yep. He has said Bernard Ryman takes the coaching better than any player he's coached over the last like five, ten years. And he's the guy, you know, wow. for those who know Ryman's the guy who comes from Austria. He didn't play football until he was like 14 years old. And every single year he's like, Dad, I kind of want to play high school football, you know, in the in the, in the United States. And he goes and does that. He's like, I kind of want to go play, you know, at college. And it's like, oh, now I kind of want to play in the NFL. So he has like taken everything really, really well. And, and started continues. as a tight end, exactly. too. Exactly. Yeah. Started as a tight end, has added weight. He's going to be a guy that tests well, and teams will covet that. I still think he's a ways away, though. I, I still think he's a ways away from being a legitimate starting off the tackle in the NFL. Interesting. All right, one more time. Plug plug your podcast for Absolutely. us. Tailgate, man. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, all that stuff. We also go out on YouTube. Mike and I do a lot, have a lot of fun on that podcast and it's, it's a good one around the draft. We're going to be doing three, four episodes a week up into the draft. And I will not hold you to this. It's too early. It's ridiculous. Prediction for the Giants at five and seven. So I do think that they double dip in the trenches, right? And if Kayvon Thibodeau's slide is to five or to seven, I think they have to, have to, in my opinion, make that decision. I think it's Kayvon Thibodeau at five if he falls that far. And then at seven, I think you get into this offensive tackle group. If Cross is available, I'm starting to consider it. Icky and Evan Neal just won't be there. I'm I sorry. agree. They won't be there, but I, I think Cross at seven is a real opportunity. But if Penning does rise up boards and he's bigger on NFL teams' radar, there is Penning. But I'd lean Cross at seven, Thibodeau at five, and honestly, you're coming out of there with 360 dunks, dude. Those those are phenomenal picks at the value you're getting. When do you consider Linderbaum? I know you guys love yeah, him to death, I, but a he's a center. I'm a huge fan of Linderbaum, and I actually saw recently, the highest I've seen him mocked, I don't remember which animal it was, I apologize for that, but That's ten, right. 10 to the Jets. It's like, that's probably the highest I'd want to see Linderbaum come off the board, just considering positional value. Center is one of the lowest paid positions in the NFL. Last 25 years, also, not one center has been picked in the top 10. Exactly. Not and one. I think that's the highest he'd go, right? The Jets at 10. Other fits that I like, Baltimore at 14. Arizona with Rodney Hudson getting a little bit long in the tooth. That's, like, I think at 22, 23, where Arizona's picking. That's where Linderbaum, I do think, comes off the board. I Maybe Eagles as a replacement for Kelsey so at some point. So the thing with Kelsey is if Kelsey's out, I have, I've, I've talked to some Eagles people saying that Kelsey still might be playing there, and it's like at that point, I want Linderbaum to play tomorrow. Oh, like if, yeah. I'm, if, yeah, if I'm yeah, drafting yeah. Linderbaum, I want him to play tomorrow. And he is not a guard. Exactly. No, he's not, not a guard. A guard. I don't think he had the no. arm length to play guard. I think he's also a little bit lighter. That's another guy I think that came in to play defensive tackle. You know, I talked to Tristan Wirfs a lot. He's one of my you know favorite players to talk to in the NFL. You know the story that Linderbaum beat him in a wrestling yep, match in, yep. in, in mm -hmm. high school, which is absurd. And he also said that Linderbaum and him would wrestle throughout Iowa, just do it a little bit for fun. Linderbaum beats him almost every time. Linderbaum is an insane athlete, super explosive. Another guy that comes to Indy is going to blow it up. Austin, great stuff. Thanks, I appreciate man. it. Thanks appreciate so it, dude. Austin Gale, Pro Football Focus. Make sure you check it out. We'll be right back with more Big Blue Kickoff Live. Colleen Wolf joins Madeline Burke right after this. Welcome back to BBK. As you could tell, we changed it up a little bit. John Schmelk's taking a break. I'm Madeline Burke here with Colleen Wolf from NFL Network. You can follow her on Twitter at Colleen Wolf. 
Uh, first of all, thanks for taking hey. the time out here at the Combine. <laughs> I know you have been booked and busy since Super Bowl and now coming out here. How do you prepare for an event like this? You know what? That's a great question. And if you find the answer, let me know because <laughs> I've been trying to figure this out for years. Right. And then with the added week, it's just everything I feel like every day is getting like shorter and shorter. So I would like at least like five more hours added to every day. That yeah, would be yeah. great. It is. It's just... It's, you gotta cram. I feel like I'm still in college. So after the Super Bowl, it's just like learning all of these prospects, trying to figure out team needs, and then they change because of free agency, and then there's new coaching staffs, and there's new GMs, and it's a lot. It's fun, it's exciting. There's mm -hmm. And I love the fact that during Combine, so many things, so many news items come out too. And so right. then you kind of, that takes you a little bit into the off season, but it's like a huge reunion here, which is the best part. It absolutely is. And since of course last season, we didn't get one of these. It's like everyone you haven't seen in two years is back around. Um, but you mentioned, you know, of course, 17 game season was the first time this year. So that was a shortened schedule between Super Bowl and Combine. Yep. I know you've done a lot of your homework. You've done a lot of your research though. Looking around the league, I feel like this draft right now is like the equivalent of like a defensive Super Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. Like for a football fan, you're like, wow, this is really impressive. But for the casual fan, it's like, well, there's no like sparkly, shiny new, no. like there's nobody that stands out and there's really no clear number one overall pick. No, and so that's the thing. This draft, is, it doesn't have like the big splashy names, the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, the running backs. Like this is, as Lance Zerline put it, this is like a very, ba it's a needs draft. Like mm -hmm. it's like getting like socks yeah. when you go to the mall. Like it's not like you got some fun new top or something like that. Like it, you got to get all the basics oh, in this yeah. draft. This so, is socks for Christmas. It, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. You open up, you're like, you I'll need use them. them. Need I need them. them. But it's not going to, it's not yeah. the most exciting thing you in know. the world. Now there are exciting players but they're going to be a lot of day two guys. So, like, the foundational players are going to set up teams for the future in this draft. So you have a lot of, like, the offensive linemen. You have some good edge guys as well. The tight end class is pretty deep. Um, Lance Zerline, our draft analyst, he was telling me about the running back class, how there's not splashy names, but it is a deep class. Mm -hmm. So there is talent. It's just not at the very top of the draft. And sometimes finding that, like, late-round talent can be valuable, too, because mm -hmm. you find some of these picks that, you know, it's a little bit more of a value play. And you can kind of go more for fit with your organization as opposed to best talent available. Is that right, correct? Right, yeah. right. And, and I think, too, like the scouts have obviously been working on this for months and months. But, mm -hmm. like, even the head coaches that I've talked to and the coordinators, they're all just trying to get their bearings as well because they're, like, with the – just e even the guys that weren't even in the playoffs. It's like mm -hmm. this – it's just such a different class this year. And I think because you don't have those marquee names that everyone's sort of playing catch up. And that's like, yeah. that's the NFL in general. It's like, you're just constantly playing catch up all the time. Yeah. But it's been, it's been a strange event so far because it's always strange, but in the best way possible, the combine. I love it. I love it. Now, full disclosure, I got to ask, how comfortable are you wearing blue and sitting on a giant set as an Eagles fan? As an Eagles fan. What are you talking about? This is green. Just, I just got to point it out out there. Philadelphia, I know you're watching. I know you're watching. That, well, so it's because my shoes, which you cannot see right now, are yeah. blue. And you're right. Yeah. I, I just, I knew that I was coming to talk to, with you today. There and so this was all planned. Also, I know my audience. Colleen's sneaker game is on point. If you haven't noticed, take Thank note you. as well. Um, but talking about the Giants too. I mean, we've talked about how this is a lot of offensive linemen in this draft. Offensive line is and has been a need for the Giants. Mm -hmm. When you look at this, 
picking at five and seven in the first round. There's so many different routes to go. I mean, who are some of the players that have, have kind of stood out to you so far? I, so everyone I work with always makes fun of me because I always want to talk about offensive linemen. And they're like, nobody nobody cares about offensive linemen, Colleen. And I'm like, yeah, but I do because that's what makes this whole thing go. Yes, yeah. So I know that in all of the mocks that I've seen so far, Iki Aquanu is one of the guys that goes to the Giants the most. And mm -hmm. that's a guy who – the Giants basically need to hit up an offensive, an offensive lineman depot. They need so much help at the position. Right. And so I think that there is a really great foundational player that they can build from. But there's also questions with, like, what's going to happen with Daniel Jones? And because they have cap issues, like, what is who will the cap casualties be? And are there scenarios? where certain marquee players could get moved so they can get some more flexibility under the cap. Like, the way that this new regime has to build things is they're in a little bit of a difficult spot. This year is going to be a transition year mm -hmm. to get that cap health better. Absolutely. And, I mean, we talk about Daniel Jones. There's a lot of still question marks going into his fourth season about his future publicly. But there are so many needs in this team. It's like almost you've got to shore those up before you make that decision, right? Right. And I think last year was supposed to be the prove-it year mm -hmm. for Daniel Jones. And this organization went out and they tried to surround Daniel Jones with everything that they could. They made all of the free agent splash moves, and that's why they're in this cap problem now. They went all in, and then they only won four games. Right. So – with Daniel Jones, it's just so difficult. I understand that there were injuries and it's not all on him. But this year is going to be so important for him because otherwise they're going to have to move in a different direction. And I guess they are in a nice spot because the quarterback class this year is a little meh, that they have the ability with the draft capital that they have to get some other foundation pieces right. and then make the decision on Daniel Jones. Yeah. You know, and, and talking about the quarterback class too, I think that is the narrative. There's no real first or clear number one quarterback in this group. No. Carson Strong was saying yesterday, though, that he thinks it's because there's no, like, Andrew Luck or number one overall pick, Trevor mm -hmm. Lawrence type of guy in that group. But what is it about this quarterback group that has them kind of so undervalued, I guess? You know, it's such a great question because I keep asking the scouts that. I'm like, yeah. why, why is this the case? Because every year I hear, oh, the quarterback class is just meh. And then it changes, but it feels like this year is different. Right. And it feels like this year the quarterback class really it isn't just, that great. Yeah. And who knows? Because like right. quarter, you don't know if you're going to hit on these players, even totally. if they are a top prospect. You don't. You just don't know. I mean, right. look at like Josh Rosen. I mean, there's plenty of names in recent mm -hmm. drafts that you can point to. So it's sort of like a 50-50 shot anyway. But. Yeah. It really, it's going to be like, how good is your scouting department and show us this year. Right, because a lot of these guys have the raw skills, the arms, the, you know, the buildable traits, mm -hmm. but that's one of the hardest positions, I think, to translate from college to pro. Yeah, by 1,000%. Yeah. And, and if you don't have the coaching staff to develop this player and a system that is that can really set them up for success, like, mm -hmm. it's... you're you're just going to fail. Right. And, and it's not good for anyone. Everybody loses in that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, this week, today, we've got some of the actual on-field work starting. We've heard a lot of podium talk, but we saw the bench press earlier. Some of the tight ends got out there. Jelani Woods, 24 reps, which... 
first of all, I just love hearing everyone cheering these on it, in this area. It is such a spectacle. It really is. I, I'm so sad that there's not like a jumbotron, like there's oh, yeah. not a big screen that I can see everything that's going on because it, it was kind of far from where I was standing. Yeah. But they have all the guys mic'd up and everyone's pumping each other up, mm -hmm. which I love. That's like the best part about it. So it's, it's hard to not be like captivated by it. Absolutely. And you can just hear the energy building as these guys are getting more and more reps. It's, you love that. And then of course, later today, the on-the-field work will be beginning at 4 p.m. Uh -huh. on NFL Network. Mm -hmm. What are you most excited to see? Honestly, having not had this whole thing last year, yeah. I'm ex I love the 40s, obviously. Obviously. Like that's, that's the main thing. But I love when we get to talk to the prospects right. afterwards yes. because their guard is down. They've mm -hmm. already, like, gone through the gauntlet of all of it. Yeah. And then we can really, like, find out some good things about their personality and, like, let them shine a little bit. Yeah. So I just I can't wait to see it all. I'm so excited. Colleen will be down there yep. taking care of business, making sure everybody is uh, up to date on all that's going on. Plus, if you don't see that content, you can catch up with her. Follow her on Instagram. Yep. Follow her on Twitter. Check out the Split Ends podcast that mm -hmm. Colleen does uh, with Erica Temposi. Yep. Uh, and it's available really anywhere you listen to podcasts. Anywhere you want. So, so wherever, check it out. wherever you're listening to BBK after you finish this episode, just <laughs> pivot on over yeah, and check it's, out it's Split It's very Ends. easy. It's a very easy jump. I love the name, by the way. Thanks. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> all right, Colleen. Colleen Wolf, thanks so much for taking the time with us. We'll be right back with more BBK. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live from the NFL Combine in lovely Indianapolis. We're back to normal. We're joined by Chris Brown, insider for the Buffalo Bills. Usually, this is more like it, 30 degrees, 40 degrees. It was like 60 the last two days. I was like, what the hell's going on here? I was ready to pop shorts on if I put them in my suitcase. I mean, you know, but I, I haven't worn my coat all week until today. It's great. It's amazing. It is all presented by AWS, proud partner of the New York Giants. You might be wondering, why the heck are you putting a guy on from the Bills? Well, he knows a lot more about Brian Dable and Joe Shane than Giant fans do and I do and we do. So I want to get a feel for the two guys yeah. from you, Chris. So uh, I guess let's speak broadly first. What are the Giants getting in Joe Shane and Brian Dable? Well, I think you're getting a good tandem, two guys that know each other really, really well. I haven't worked together with the Bills, obviously, but I think there is a, it's a tandem that I think walks into the door in lockstep. And having experienced that with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean the last five years, that's a good thing. <laughs> like you guys got a good tandem that know how they have to work off one another as much as they have to work with each other. So I think that lays a great foundation for them right from the jump. How do you think Joe Shane is going to go about trying to build up the Giants the way he helped Brandon Bean build up the yeah bills. and just so everybody's clear like brandon bean has obviously been the main architect but wherever brandon bean could not be he sent joe shane because a gm at this day and age you just can't get everywhere to see everybody you need to see to be prepared for a draft or to scout everyone to be ready for free agency so he covered as many air miles as he could but wherever he couldn't be that he felt he needed to be he sent joe to quote joe shane by the way he said the one thing i learned about being a general manager is that i can't sit down for more than five minutes at a time to watch tape my door's a revolving door and i can't yeah. get any actual well especially time. when it's a new thing <laughs> right, that you're trying course, to yeah. build you know but <laughs> i would say that joe and brandon think a lot alike you know having kind of grown up in this business together granted they did part ways eventually you know, he was down in Miami for a while and, and Brandon was still in Carolina. But I think what they, they respect a lot of the same things in terms of how to build a team, 
it starts up front, both sides of the line. And I would anticipate Joe's going to try to fix those things first for the Giants and then build it out from there. Now, that's not to say if they don't see an opportunity to you know, land a skill player that they think is a force multiplier for their quarterback mm-hmm. or for, a run, for the run game, whatever it is, it's not to say they would not strike. They will if they see an opportunity. But... It's, it's going to start up front. This is interesting, right? Because they got, you know, Tredavious White was a guy, a piece that was in place. Their two big first free agent moves were the two safeties, right? They right. bring them in and they've been so good for you guys. Uh, Poyer and Micah Hyde, uh, yeah. who have been excellent. So they have that in place. The Giants actually have some decent secondary pieces in place. So you do think that the focus will be up front because, you know, you guys did Al Oliver, you did Basham, you did Epinesa, you Greg did Rousseau last Greg year. Rousseau. And, you know, do you think those are the type of power players they'll be looking for? Because, you know, those edge players, they're not your bendy 250, you know, speed edge guys. Those are power edge players. Well, and, and the thing, too, that you have to keep in mind is more and more, and the league is moving this way as a whole, they're looking for the premium positions in the first two rounds of the draft. So what are those? You're talking quarterback, offensive tackle, pass rusher, cornerback. Yeah, you hit you them know? all. So those you are the ones all. that... I mean, you look at the Bills draft in the first round over the last five years. Tredavious White, cornerback, first round. Josh Allen, quarterback, first round. And then even in the second round, Deion Dawkins was a second-round pick. He's their starting left tackle. You know, so they they look at the premium positions primarily. That's not to say there are outliers that they would jump on. And, by the way, they used the first-round pick to trade for a wide receiver, another position that some people would consider a premium position. But I would say that more often than not, in the first two rounds of the draft— they have Brandon Bean and Joe Shane over the years have looked for the guys that have elite physical traits. Last year is a perfect example. Greg Rousseau, six seven, long levered, you know, two hundred sixty five pounds, and runs in the four sixes. Elite physical traits, and then they trust their coaching staff to develop those players. And I think that's what gets lost a lot of times because you can draft really well and hit on a on a premium player, but if you don't have the infrastructure on your coaching staff to develop them, right. they're not going to reach their full potential. And that was the problem for the Bills for 17 years. Constant coaching churn and they just changing schemes, changing systems, and they could not develop good talent that they were drafting and and so as long as coach Abel puts together a coaching staff that he knows can develop the talent that joe shane's going to bring in the door now you're on to something what's the level of patience needed <laughs> is that what you're saying how well, yeah, patient well, do giants fans need to be yeah i mean i mean i think you know is this going to be a deal where he tries to make a quick fix or is he willing to say look this is going to take a couple years no, no, and, I, and i'm going to live with the bumps and bruises along the way i, I think they're committed to playing the long game now, that's not to say they're not going to try to win. They are going to try to win. And, and Sean McDermott in year one is a perfect example of that. They traded away Sammy Watkins. They traded away Ronald Darby, their first pick in 2015, second rounder. And they threw Marcel Darius overboard because he didn't fit the DNA of the kind of players they wanted on their roster. I don't care how talented they are. If they're not our kind of people, they're not going to be here. And people were like, what the hell are they doing? They're trading Sammy Watkins. They're trading Ronald Darby. Like their best corner, their best wide receiver, and their best interior run defender. They traded all of them away. They still won nine games and backed into the playoffs with some help from the Cincinnati Bengals. In year one, they went nine and seven. Now, they took a step back in year two. Six and ten? Six and ten yeah. because they were in cap jail. And they had to bite the bullet in 2018. Now, 
you guys don't have a very nice cap situation. I was that, now, that was going to be my next question. Now, there you, are yeah. ways for them to get out from under it, and I'm sure you know them better than I do. I know Worley would be a tremendous savings on the cap, right? He'd be like... Bradbury, yes. Bradbury, or Bradbury, yeah, Bradbury sorry. Yes. Mm-hmm. I confused old Carolina cornerbacks yeah. <laughs> there. But there are ways to get out from under it, so there might be some medicine taking here in year one with where the cap is at. All I'm going to say is give Joe time to clean it up, and you may have to struggle through some things this year and play without a full deck because of it. Right. But I think as they get out from under that and the cap hopefully goes up to 230 where people are expecting it to be as early Mm -hmm. as next year, they may be able to reload in every way that they want to next year to really get the thing moving. And he's basically said this, but I just want to kind of confirm it with you. Were they big restructure contracts, June 1st cut guys, or was it no, let's take our pain now and then we'll be happy next year? They would prefer to avoid that. Right. Now, nobody could avoid that last year because the cap went down. Yeah, you knew it was no a choice. restrictive cap. You had no choice. Every team in the league had to restructure, kick the can down the road just to field a competitive team. Correct. And we're still not there yet now because the 208 number for the cap this year was what it should have been two years ago. Correct. So most of these GMs will tell you they're still recovering, and it might take another year even after that. Now, if it goes up to 230, life's a lot easier. TV deals start kicking in, right, all that right. stuff. But, yeah. but there's, there is restrictions. there are restrictions in place for people like Joe and Brian who are trying to build this thing the right way. So I know Giants fans don't want to hear that, but... There are things, there are hurdles that still have to be cleared before they can do business the way they want to do it to build it the right way for the Giants. Yeah, and I think Giant fans are willing to be patient, by the way. Two more questions. They Joe Shane's standard line, and Brian Dable used it too. The type of players they want, smart, tough, tough dependable. dependable. I'm sure you've heard it before. Yep. Easy to say. What does that mean exactly? Because smart and tough and dependable can mean very different things right. when you kind of break it down. So I think smart is important because the offense that Dable is going to bring in there with him will be wide-ranging and a lot of volume. Now, that doesn't mean that all of that volume is going to be used on a given Sunday, but Brian Dable likes to have the ability to pull and choose in a given week based on matchups, certain things. He expects his receivers to know every position because he wants to move all of them. You better be smart enough to know and retain all of those positions in your head. That's what attracted them to Gabriel Davis in round four. Kid was quick as a whip and knew everything as a rookie coming in the door. It's funny you what? say that. Joe Shane was asked at his press conference. He said, we drafted Gabriel Davis because Brian Dable said we needed a receiver to play all the positions. And he, he literally said was that. able that's to funny. retain that. So that's going to wow. be the demand on a receiver in that system. And for offensive linemen, you have to be position versatility. That is a main component of what Joe Shane's going to be looking for in alignment. So if you think the Giants need a guard, that guard better be able to play center or he better also be able to play tackle. Look for that in their resumes, and if you see that, chances are, and they're tough as nails, and they're a dependable player, maybe they're willing to play hurt sometimes and just gut it out you know, to get through a game, that's what you're looking for on a resume of a prospect here at the Combine or in the draft class. How willing were they to take chances on players that maybe had an injury history, or is that something they tended to avoid? I think, I think the way they often played that was... They depend on their doctors. Got it. They don't, they don't like inserting any guesswork into the thing. If the doctor tells them, hey, look, can this guy play and have an NFL career? Yes, but he's probably a one-contract guy, may have problems come year four, year five, and be out of the league. They're not drafting that guy in the first four rounds. 
They're just not. So they're going to err more on the conservative approach when it comes to health. They listen to their doctors, and what their doctors tell them, they live by. They don't take any chances outside of the the medical opinion. They trust their physicians. All right, final question. Brian Dable, uh, the Giants hire, surprisingly, Mike Kafka, from a completely different offensive yeah. tree in Kansas City to kind of, you know, come together with Dable. And you mentioned his the depth of his offense. And I I went back and I looked at different years. I feel like the Bills' offense really changed from year to year. Mm-hmm. So what do you think Giant fans can expect from that Brian Dable offense? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to build it to fit what he has. And he's always done that. Now, I think the other thing that he does extraordinarily well is he makes adjustments within games. Like people say, oh, here's my game plan and whatever. That's not how he works. After the first series, he's already changing stuff and moving things around. So, again, okay. that's why you need high football IQ there. And then I think also he is not afraid to take any idea that anyone has and try it in a practice setting. I'll give you a perfect example. We're down in Carolina, Spartanburg, South Carolina, with the Carolina Panthers doing two days of joint practices. Cole Beasley is in his first year with the Bills. And they're running a play. They're running plays of practice. Next day, between practices, Cole goes to Brian and says, hey, we ran this play at SMU when I was in college. It worked really well for me. He goes, I think with what we have here on offense, I could run that play and it could be a very successful play for us. So he tells him what the play is. They draw it up on paper, this, that, and the other. Dable had it in practice the next day against the Panthers. It worked. Wow. It worked. They put it in the playbook. And it was one of the most consistent plays that they used on offense to get Cole Beasley to move the sticks for them on third downs. That's how open-minded he is. There no is ego. No idea. No ego. No ego. There is no idea that's off the table for him. That's great. He will incorporate anything. If they try it, it works. He thinks it'll help them. It's going in the book. So that's why he's hiring a guy like Mike Kafka because he wants, give me new ideas. What do you got? I'll listen. And they'll incorporate it and fit it to fit the matchups that they feel they can take advantage of in a given week against a given opponent. And it'll change week to week. Bring the Andy Reid magic and we'll use it. Thank you very yeah, much. Anything. I mean, anything and everything. He he would go to high school games in Western New York. That's fantastic. And if he saw something that he's like, ooh, I like that. Maybe there's a way we can use that. You know, he is always got the door open to take any and all ideas because I think he knows this day and age in offensive football, if you're going to stay ahead of defensive coordinators in this league, you've got to be changing. And, and not we're not talking like gigantic wholesale changes. It might be some kind of subtlety in, you know, pre-snap window dressing, motions, all Depth of that of stuff. Depth of a row, that right. sort of stuff. Yeah, all yeah, that yeah. thing. So he mm-hmm. will incorporate all of that to just try to stay ahead of them, you know, and maybe give them a look where they're like, oh, this is coming. And now you got that linebacker to cheat one step this way. And then you hit him with something else that they haven't seen on film yet because he just put it in. And I, I joked with Stephon Diggs last year. I said, because I had heard, you know, he'll change things late in the week even, during the week. Like, game plan goes in, install Wednesday. You know, we're working on third down on Thursday, and, you know, red zone Friday, yep. whatever. Mm-hmm. And there might be, and I said, Stefan, how many times does Brian change little things in the game plan in a given week? He's like, twice on Friday and once on Saturday. Now, he was only half joking. That happens. Now, that's in an offense that's been largely together for the last three years. Is he going to do that in New York in year one? Probably not. But as this thing morphs and changes and develops, he will probably feel more comfortable 
making those tiny little adjustments that he thinks can make the difference in winning and losing. It's funny, Dave used the expression with us yesterday. He said, we have to walk before we can run. Right. So you're right. I think you have to kind of build up to that, which goes back to needing smart players yes. to make those changes late in the week. Right, right. Because you can't adjust and make right. all the changes you want if your players can't handle it. So that, that's really what year one's going to be for him. It's going to be, how much can I push down on the gas pedal here and push these guys? That's a little too much. Let's back it off. Let's, you know, shuck it down to the cob and say, all right, we can do A, B, and C. D, and, D, e, and F, we're going to have to wait on. Awesome. Chris, tell, by the way, we have a fan that calls into our show regularly that's actually a Bills fan. Okay. And he says, we just, I like your content, so I listen. So tell him and any other Bill fans we've listened where they can find your great Bills content. Yeah, so we're just at buffalobills.com, and we do a daily show, which you can pull up on the website at the bottom of the homepage, and it's called One Bills Live. And we're on regionally up in Western New York, but you can get us there or you can get us on the Odyssey app. Um, and WGR 550 is the station up in Buffalo that you can pull up on the Odyssey app. Here our show 1 to 3 p.m. Monday to Friday. And we also have a podcast once a week, which is on any platform you want. That's basically called Bills by the Numbers. We dive a little bit more into the facts and figures. Nice. We don't get too deep in the weeds in analytics. I'm not an analytics expert, but we kind of dice them up a little bit more. Very good. Chris, congratulations. Hopefully you guys get that overtime yeah. rule change. We're rooting for you. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, thanks. We put the proposal in. You I saw did, that, right? I did. Good luck with that, and we'll yeah, see you thanks. next time, right? Yeah, good luck with Brian and Joe. You guys are going to enjoy them. They're great. Great tandem. We're having fun so far. We'll be back with uh, Fran Duffy from the Philadelphia Eagles right after this on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by AWS, proud sponsor of the New York Giants. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by AWS, proud partner of the New York football giants. No, we're not going to have a steel cage match, but <laughs> you know Fran Duffy. He's joined us on many programs before. Uh, tell the folks, Fran, before we start about your podcast that everyone should pay attention to. Yeah, for sure. We do the Journey to the Draft podcast twice weekly, year-round. And it is not just an Eagles podcast, John. Yeah. We do cover all 32 teams. We cover prospects from all across the country, uh, who everyone should be paying attention to at every position. Uh, a lot of fun, and we do it year-round. And that's why we're having Fran on the show. And we We'll talk about the Eagles' three first-round picks, by the way, with their embarrassment of riches. <laughs> Giants have two, though. Not bad. No doubt. Um, so let's start here. Give me a 20,000-foot view of this draft class, in your opinion. I think it's a really good class. You know, and we talked a year ago about how, you know, with uh, everybody getting that free COVID year, so many players decided to go back for the 2021 season and how that would really add to the depth of this class. And I think we have seen that. Uh, now, not all of those guys ended up in this class because what happened was a bunch more went back for another year in 2022. <laughs> so uh, we're going to see that depth continue to carry over. But I think when you look at this class, really, really strong. Uh, maybe not the top end, you know, the, the top three, top five talent that uh, we've come to expect. And that's what you hear about all of these players. But it's still a really, really good class with a lot of really good players. You mean what, three, maybe four true blue chippers probably, right? And that's probably it? Yeah, and it just depends. I think it, it depends on how you kind of categorize blue chip player. Like if you you might not look at safety and say, oh, I can't count him as right. a blue chip player, but Kyle Hamilton's a hell of a talent, right? So you kind of get in that discussion. We talked about it last year with Kyle Pitts. We talked about it a couple years ago with Quentin Nelson. Uh, both those guys have looked pretty good uh, so far. Obviously, Nelson's been a little bit more established, but uh, I think when you look at these guys from a pure talent standpoint, uh, you can't argue with, with the skill that this draft class presents. So we actually haven't touched that, touched on this on any of the shows so far. So I'll ask you this. How high are you willing to pick a guy like Tyler Lindebaum? Mm. Because that's the same deal, right? I went back the last 25 years, went through all the drafts. There's been five straight-up guards taken in 25 years, five in the top ten, zero centers. Yep. So when do you start thinking about that in a year, to your point, where you don't have that 
high quantity of blue chip guys at valuable positions. Typically, whenever you have these kind of discussions with uh, with scouts, with general managers, it's typically okay. Well, how does that player relate to other players on the board? If uh, you know, because all these guys get thrown into tiers and they all get thrown yep. into buckets. So um, you know, if you have two players in Linderbaum and uh, you know, insert pass rusher here, and you have them in the same tier. Teams are going to lean towards the pass rusher. Once you get to that bottom of that bucket, there are going to be some teams that still say, hey, we're going to go beneath that bucket because this is a priority position. Right. That's going to be some teams' prerogative, but there are going to be another, there's going to be another team at some point, and it, whether that <laughs> happens in the early teens, whether that happens in the late teens, into the 20s, whatever, you go down and down and down. Um, you know, we've seen that with centers in the past. We'll see exactly when teams feel like they can pull the trigger on Linderbaum, but that's going to be the debate is, hey, he's the best player on the board, but maybe at a least uh, or at a less impactful position. How scheme-specific do you think he is in the run game? Can he do more in a gap scheme than maybe what we've seen, or do you I think, think so. he is really an outside zone, inside zone type guy? I think he definitely fits more to that, but I think when you watch them, uh, you know, him flying off the ball, uh, he gets movement in the run game. He's a powerful human being. Uh, I'm sure you guys have talked about it, the, yeah. uh, his high school background uh he was the only player to pin Tristan Wirfs in high school wrestling so uh, Mm -hmm. this is a guy that has some power to him uh, just because he's undersized and we've seen that for years in Philadelphia with Jason Kelsey Uh, just because you're on the smaller side doesn't mean you can't create movement in the run game I should ask you to bring the notes I'm putting you on the spot I apologize but you don't have this on the edge of your fingers I know you do a great job of team trends on Mm. how they approach the draft right so the Giants bring in Joe Shane yep he comes from Brandon Bean in Buffalo what can Giant fans take from how the Bills approach the draft to maybe try to figure out what the Giants might do this season? You know, one thing that really always stood out to me about them when they got to Buffalo was uh, they wanted to be a big football team, and it was, uh, you know, they, you saw that with a number of those picks early on, and also they wanted they believed in building up the middle. They wanted the, the spine, especially on defense, uh, the defensive tackles, linebackers, safeties to be strengths of that defense, and uh, obviously they've supplemented that. You know, you add in uh, Stephon Diggs on offense, you get Tredavious White on defense, defense but when you look at the assets they put into D tackle linebacker safety I think it kind of speaks to the way that they like to build their football team and also they've talked about hey we get when they drafted Tremaine Edmonds look we're in Buffalo it's cold weather we want to be a big physical football team and so uh, my guess is having not not being too far away from Buffalo they're going to try and carry those same kind of philosophies over to the Giants. So what Ed Oliver defensive tackle they took yep and then last year right they picked the two big defensive ends now they're edge players but they're Big edge yes. players. A.J. Epinesa, Gregory Rousseau. So yep. And I Basham w- as well. Basham was a big, powerful about Basham, defender Carlos as well. Basham, yep. absolutely. So I wonder if they value, you know, because it, as you know, there are very different types of edge players, yep. right? And this draft class doesn't really have many of those Brian Burnsy, yeah. Bendy guys. They have more of the, you know, bigger guys. And I wonder if those are the type of guys that – Joe Shane and Dable are going to lean towards. Yeah, I think when you look at uh, the way that the game is played now, and we, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, is uh, with quick throws, with RPOs, yeah. and the screen game, you have to be able to get to the quarterback fast, and the fastest way from point A to point B is a straight, straight line. line. So you got to be able to go through that offensive lineman. And so uh, those guys that have that power, that ability to move a tackle off their spot, I think there's more value in that than maybe what we may perceive. Look, the bend, that's very important. You like guys that can turn the corner. The more things you can do, the better. Um, but I think we're seeing across the league those power rushers are proving to be pretty valuable. What do you think about the depth of this class on the offensive and defensive lines? That's where the Eagles like to build. I think that's where the Giants yep. are trying to build up now, too. Like, if you don't go there in the first round, who are some of the guys that you really like on, on maybe day two that could be immediate help either mm. at edge or on the offensive line? Yeah, I think when you look at, at this edge group, it's really, really, really good. Deep, uh, too. Yeah, it's yeah. a really deep group. It's hop-heavy as well. Um, you know, And through 
through the first round. You're going to have the top-end talent, but then you get into the teens, you get into the late part of the draft, you're going to have or the late part of the round, you're going to have really quality players. I think a guy that's probably on the outside looking in in round one, but still a really good player. He went down to the senior bowl but couldn't participate. Cameron Thomas from San Diego State is a guy that has really stood out. The last two seasons has been really productive. And bigger for the guy, Aztecs, too. Bigger yeah. guy, really technically sound. Uh, reminds me uh, of Max Crosby. And Crosby obviously had a huge year for the Las Vegas Raiders. We had Jim Nagy from the senior bowl on the show, uh, and he said that that's a, a comp that's been really, really really prevalent in talking with people around the league. So I think when you look at, at uh, Cameron Thomas, that would be a guy. And then you go to the offensive line. One guy that's getting a lot of love is Tyler Smith, the redshirt sophomore left tackle from Tulsa. He is kind of like that lowercase Ikiakuanu, where he is He's a nasty he son of a gun, man. He is nasty. He loves to get guys on the ground. He's just not as athletic as Aquanu, and that's why Aquanu is going to be a top five. You know, top, you know, he's going to be a top selection. Whereas uh, Tyler Smith, you're talking about a little bit later uh, in the draft. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. One guy I'm interested in: How important do you think the testing is going to be for George Karloftis mm. this week? You know, he's another one of those bigger guys, right? And he hasn't been playing football very long. He's you know, not a U.S.-born player, uh, former water polo player, believe yep. it or not. Um, you know, he's a bigger guy. If he tests well this week, could he find his way into that late top ten area? Yeah, I think it's funny. Um, you know, the last obviously last summer, the Summer Olympics, watching it, water polo, you have to be a freak athlete to be able to be a good water polo like, player. You can't put your feet down for, no. like, two hours. Yeah, how, how hard it is to tread water for that long? <laughs> Much less to, like, lift your body up and be able to control and throw a, fo- a, a ball. It's insane. So, But that carries over in terms of his power and his ability to move. To, uh, go, go back to that skill set we talked about earlier to move tackles off their spot, right, run right through a tackle. He's got that ability. The question's going to be the flexibility, so we'll see what he does in the shuttles this week. But I think when you look overall at, at his skill set, I don't know that if he doesn't test well in the shuttles or if he doesn't test at all, if that's going to be a huge knock because I don't think anybody's really expecting him to do well in those drills. So I'm going to give you a chance to apologize on behalf of the Eagles for trading <laughs> up for Devontae Smith last year. I, I'm not going to apologize because it's a, uh, I think I'm pretty happy with how that's turned out. I think you are. But – Will the Eagles be taking another wide receiver mm. this year? How do you think you guys are going to try to utilize those three first-round picks? It's a good question. I think they've got a lot of flexibility, and that's something that Howie Roseman talked about this week is when you've got those three first-round picks, and they, they're always aggressive. They're always open to moving up, moving back, moving uh, in reverse in terms of getting a pick for future years. So I think when you look at uh, their flexibility – I think that that's going to be something that they're going to hold for them you know, moving into this draft. I think the big thing is that this is a team that always prioritizes the lines of scrimmage, as you mentioned, so O-line, D-line, and just priority positions. So uh, when you look at what are those priority positions in the game, it's the teams that are players that can impact the pass game. So you're talking uh, QB, receivers, pass rushers, offensive line, defensive line, and secondary. And so uh, I think when you look at uh, this team and what they're going to try and do, my guess is that's the way they would, they would lean. But also you would make the argument with three first-round picks, you also have that luxury to say, hey, we, if we can, we can get a little bit outside our comfort zone and be able to address other positions as well. I mean, Howie loves to move around. Yeah, Would no you doubt. be surprised if he even tries to pick up a couple more? Because we talked about it's kind of a flat draft after 15, right? Between 15 and 50, these grades are, you know, here and right. here and they're you know they're touching yep. could you see him trying to pick up even more there or do you think he's going to use all three yeah I think the, the the big thing too is that when you have them all clustered together that way it's very you know it's 
when you look at it from a value standpoint, it'll be really interesting to see how they approach it because, uh, you know, obviously, look, if, you, if you're on the clock, you got to make the pick, right? But uh, to have three guys in that area of the draft, look, you could get lucky and have three, you know, p- p- players that you might say have you have top ten grades on fall to you at that point. Uh, we see teams say that all the time. Yeah. And some people think, oh, that's, they're just saying that. No, that is absolutely the case just because that's how teams kind of grade players. It's all over the board. Uh, so there's a team, if you're picking at 15, if you're picking at 17 or 21, you might get a player that's in your top 10, your top 12 that falls to you and you weren't expecting to be there. So we'll see uh, if those opportunities present themselves for the Eagles. Final question. Giant fans obviously would not be happy if the Eagles have their franchise quarterback, but there was some progress there last year. Jalen Hurts had a night year, won some games. What's the next step you think your organization wants to see him Mm. make to convince them that he is, in fact, their long-term solution at quarterback? I think just uh, you know taking that next step from a consistency standpoint, uh, especially when it comes to the, the quick decision-making, uh, you know, he's got all of the tools. I mean, he can create. Uh, he's got the arm talent. As, uh, he's obviously athletic. Uh, his ability to create as both a runner and as a thrower really, really showed up. You just want to be able to see him continue to make those decisions a little bit faster. This will be the first time, John, in you know six years, seven years, that he is going to be in the same system two years in a row. He's at uh, Alabama, three different offensive coordinators. He goes to Oklahoma, comes to the NFL, two different systems in two years. So having that continuity, I think, will be big for Jalen Hurts this year. Fran, good stuff, man. Always. Good seeing you. Fran Duffy, check it out. Check out the podcast, Journey to Draft, correct? That's right. Make sure you check it out. By the way, he is guys that we know. Dane Brugler's on with him a lot. Uh, Greg Cosell's on with you, right? Ross Tucker, yeah, we uh, try and bring on as many people as we can. They do a great job. Make sure you guys go check that out. Only after you check out the Giants podcast, though, of course. (laughs) We'll be right back. We'll have Art Stapleton from The Record talking Giants right after this. Final segment of Big Blue Kickoff Live apparently is a supersized episode because I'm not good at math and adding minutes together. I am John Schmelke. It's all presented by AWS, proud partner of the New York Giants. You know, this guy, he's Art Stapleton, covers the Giants for the record, also has a Giants podcast, right, Art? Yes, I do. Thank you, John. Give the pop. All in. We've heard that before. (laughs) All in with Art Stapleton, available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Make sure you check it out. Um, All right, Art. We'll start very broadly here. Give me a couple of nuggets that you think have been interesting that you've kind of gleamed in your few days here at the Combine that you think are relevant to Giant fans. I will go back to Monday night when I got into town and I started, you know, you, you kind of troll the lobbies a little bit and uh, talk to people you haven't seen in two years at this point, and whether it's reporters or executives from other teams. And I stumbled upon one an agent who I've known for a while and no attachment to any Giants players necessarily. And the first thing when he saw me, he goes, Joe's that dude. And he was talking about Joe Shane. And I almost got the sense, and it's weird, John, because two years ago was the last time we were here. Yep. And it was a new era of Giants football. Well, we know what's happened the last two years. And it's another new era of Giants football. Exactly. <laughs> and we've gone through that. But I do sense from December until now, the Giants went from being some sort of a laughing stock in the league. Everybody was laughing. It was what's wrong with the Giants to now, I think Joe Shane and to an extent Brian Dable have stabilized things from a positive direction. It's almost like At least from a perception perspective. Exactly. Perception is the Mm -hmm. best word and it's people who really aren't even uh, they don't have a vested interest in the Giants, but they're talking about the optimism. So that's kind of one thing that struck me on Monday because I just wasn't sure how everything would be received. And I think from that perspective, 
Joe Shane has a lot higher profile than even I anticipated coming here. There's a lot of respect for what he's done Mm -hmm. through the league from other teams. It's not just Bill's guys saying, hey, you guys got a good one in Joe Shane. It's people from around the league in all walks of the NFL that, that have pointed him out. So that's kind of my overarching feeling coming here is that, yes, it's another new era, but I, I don't anticipate uh, them going through the same missteps that they have the last couple of years. Yeah, knock on wood. And by the way, Chris Brown was fantastic. It was a couple of segments ago. I asked him off camera, but I forgot to ask him on the air. You know, would the Giants favor a, you know, but kicking offensive lineman versus a more finesse offensive lineman, thinking, well, if Aquanu and Evan Neal are gone, and we'll talk about them in a second, Art, yeah. uh, and you're choosing between like a pass protector like Charles Cross or a butt whooper like Trevor Penning, who would they arch to? And he did not hesitate and said, they're looking for a butt whooper. So that brings yeah. us to the offensive line, Art. How do you see this fixing up process going based on what you've seen and heard from Joe and Brian out here and then what we've seen from the draft prospects? You know, where I go, John, is that it's not only just, okay, you know, previous administration here is going to follow blueprints where they were because it's not that simple. It's more of a complicated situation. But Joe Shane had his hands all over what they did in Buffalo. Now, Brandon Bean was the, is the general manager, but Joe Shane was very involved. And not only do they have Brian Dable coming here, what he wants in his offensive system, but having Bobby Johnson as the offensive line coach, you didn't go out and hire another offensive line coach and kind of have to meld what he wants, what Dable no, wants. No, Dable and him are in tune. Like, exactly. They're there. So, so my, uh, you know, where I look at that is I thought it was very interesting the other day that Joe Shane basically volunteered. We have five healthy offensive linemen on the roster. I mean, they know – what they have to do in this draft, and it can't be coach speak or GM speak, but also the blueprint to what the Bills did to build that line, you're gonna take the prize prospect. If Aquanu or Neil are there, you grab them, you the run same, the card up. The same way when Shane was in Miami, they took Laramie Tunsil because exactly. he fell to him and it was the right pick at the right place. But I don't think that they're married to the idea that you absolutely positively have to take an offensive line in that spot. And the proof is the blueprint that they used in Buffalo. Right. Now, I don't think Joe Shane's going to come out and say, well, we're, we're just not, we don't believe in taking first round offensive linemen. That's not the point. You know, if you're picking 12th, 13th, maybe then is where you, you grab a panic if, the, if that's the case. Yeah, but the point so. is that you're not going to pick an offensive lineman that's your 25th best player over a guy at a different position that's your 7th right. best player. Like, it just doesn't right. make any sense. And Daniel Jeremiah made great points when he had his pre combine. Uh, conference call last week he ha- he kind of played it out and said you know look at the Rams offensive line how many first rounders were on there you know obviously you know you have a Whitworth who was a big signing but other than that and then you look at what the Bills did they did not draft a first round lineman over the four years that they were there so yeah you don't you don't need stars you just right. need guys that aren't terrible right right <laughs> Sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we, John? I mean, that, that's the problem. Just don't have guys that, you know, when the opposing offensive co- when the opposing defensive coordinator gets in front of his team, 
on Wednesday for the first time to discuss the opponent. You don't want that defensive coordinator to put big red circles around two of your offensive linemen and say, we're going to go get those guys, and they can't stop us. And you don't want your offensive coaches to put a big circle around the five guys and say, we've got to run plays that eliminate these five guys from stopping us running these plays. Because that shrinks your playbook. Absolutely. You can't say, we can't run outside zone. We can't do this play. We can't do that play. We can't run deep crosses. We have no faith in our maintaining the pocket. Uh, So, look, it'll be interesting. I have to admit, and I think you are too, if you're a little bit of a draft nut, the day two spots are almost more entertaining and intriguing than the day one spots because you you watch these guys on film and you see somebody and you see guys that you identify and you say, you know what? He could fit here. I think he's a really good player. You know, everyone here at the Combine knows that Neil and Aquanu are great players. They're not looking at this stuff saying, oh, well, we don't know if they can play. No, they, they think they can play. Now, they, they may bust out. Who knows? It happens you know, frequently in the league. but Now I should point out, I, we said it earlier in the show, but in case you guys weren't listening live, Evan Neal not going to work out at the Combine, right. which is surprising because people thought he was going to blow it up. Right. Uh, Equanu will, so he has a chance to kind of stake yeah. his claim to that number one spot this week. And it was really entertaining with Equanu. I mean, I, I put up sound <sighs> on my great. podcast. I know you guys ha- had the guys there to, mm-hmm. to kind of record stuff sure. what he was saying but talking about you know having family in new york and new jersey and knowing the difference between west orange and east orange and making point make a point that he knew the difference between west orange and east orange uh you know all the stuff about the 101 dalmatians and the, yeah he was on like broadway the theater <laughs> programs yeah. and so the guy the guy got accepted to yale and harvard like he's smart He's gigantic, and just his natural enthusiasm for football just bleeds out of his pores. If he's ever there at five, you sprint as quickly as you can. And going into this, after watching the tape, is Charles Cross is a better pass protector? I was like, all right, Charles Cross, the more I talk to people around here this week— and and sorry, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm agreeing with Paul Dettino. <laughs> I think Quanu right now as is my easy number two here. Maybe depending on how Neil goes yeah. here, keeping him could be number one. And and I don't know if the, if the audience saw some of the photos, but if you haven't, if you're at work, you haven't gotten home, you get home, go look at some of the photos that were put up of Evan Neal, and you saw him. I mean, he's 336 pounds. And he looks like he's a defensive end or a tight end. Or a power forward in the NBA. He's yeah. l- if there's ever been a lean 335 pounds, yep. it's that dude. To me, he looked like B.J. Hill slash O.C.'s body when O.C. was, was a little older. I mean, it, it, they are two completely different prototypes when yeah. you see them at the podium for this combine. Uh, but look, I, I mean, I, I hate going so overboard on Equanu. Right, and mm-hmm. because I don't think he's going to be there at five. I really don't. I agree. Uh, uh, but you know, look, look, if he's there, I mean, maybe Neil goes one, and then something crazy happens with with Houston to to get out of there. But uh, he would be a run to the podium pick for me, no doubt about it. At five, what are you hearing? We even talked about this much on today's show. We talked about him a lot yesterday. Uh, the Kayvon Thibodeau drop, you know. Is that a guy where the Giants would be like, oh, wow, this guy's dropping to us. It's great. Or are they, with the other team, saying, I don't know, we have some questions about this dude. You know what? You need – 
before the combine, we hear about the Thibodeau thing, and you and I were together last night a little bit, mm -hmm. and the idea that what what is the reality here? Is this a team kind of putting out information to try to get him to slide because they love him, or is this legit stuff? And the more people I talk to, uh, it's legit. It, it's it's here. It, it, it's their question is motor. Their question is motivation. Consistency. Consistency. You know, you can put a highlight film together of anybody in the NFL and make them look like stars. That's always the frustrating part when video goes out of training Correct. camp and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, a guy could be struggling and then he makes a big catch in the end zone and all you see is that play. You know, I think with Thibodeau, the, the tools are there. Will he do all the work that's necessary, though, to right. realize the full potential? Right. And, and you know what? I don't have that question, and I'm glad I don't get paid yeah, me too. to answer that question. Because he, because he could end up being the best player in this class in three years, and we'll yeah, look like idiots. No doubt. I mean, I, and I think it really comes down to the options of who's there. And I know you had Jordan Reed on from ESPN, yeah. uh, highly respected from, from me, I know from you. You know, and we had that question on my, talked about on, a, on my podcast, and I said to him, if Thibodeau and Aquanu were there for the Giants at five, which is such an unrealistic situation. Oh, whatever. Eh, who, who knows? knows? Uh, and he said he would go Aquanu, but he liked Thibodeau a lot. He likes Thibodeau a lot. And just based on the tools, right. if you were putting together the pass rushers in this in this draft, tools-wise, Thibodeau is at the top. You need to have confidence in your coach to unlock that. And I guess it really depends on positioning, right? What team is in position to make that call? Right. Does somebody trade up to make that call and say, we're confident in our coaches to say, we're going to unlock this beast. Right. I, I don't think the Giants are in that position. I have and, to be honest. And this is not a normal year. It's not like no. there are seven blue chip prospects. Like last year, Art, if I stack the best seven non-quarterbacks from last year's draft, like right now, I'll do it real fast. You have your three wide receivers that are awesome. You have Rashawn Slater. You have Penny Sewell. All right, that's five. Kyle you Pitts. have Kyle Pitts, Micah Parsons, J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan. I can make the argument that those nine players, and I might even be forgetting somebody. I think I got yeah. all of them. Those nine, they're probably nine of the first 12 picks in this year's draft class. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Like a couple people were saying yesterday, too. That doesn't mean that there won't be blue chip prospects in this draft. Guys might they're, become those guys. They're just harder to find. They're just not there yet. Right. And you might have to take a little bit of a chance. You know, do you find an organization that says, I'm going to gamble on the ceiling? I'm not going to worry about the floor. I'm going to gamble about the ceiling because Thibodeau is that guy. If you worry about – you don't want to be the guy, the team in three years where Kayvon Thibodeau is the great pass rusher in this league right. and you let him go because you may, have, you may not have overturned every stone in order to evaluate him. I think from what I heard from people is that Joe Shane and the way he runs his scouting – he will not leave any stone unturned when it comes to looking at the prospects that yeah. the Giants are going to take. And, and both Chris Brown said it to me. He thinks they probably would err more on the side of caution. Right. The all goals, you know, smart, tough, dependable. Right. That's the dependable part of the equation. Right. And Mike Tannenbaum said he went back to his first year drafting with the Jets, and he goes, look, you want to build a team and build a foundation. So you pick foundational players. And he said my first two picks were Nick Mangold and DeFrickershaw Ferguson. Right. And he goes, if I'm Joe Shane walking into that situation, I'm thinking, get me two guys that I know are going to be 
not just maybe not superstar players, but good, solid players that are going to start at their positions for 10 years that are low-risk players. And he says that's the type of player he would be looking at, which brings me back, like, if Kyle Hamilton's sitting there, yeah. even though Xavier McKitty's on the board, I mean, that's a safe player, right? Yeah, I, I would think so. And safeties are very important in Wink's defense, right? I mean, he wants to move guys around. I mean, maybe not to the extent that Patrick Graham did on the back end, but I don't see any reason why Kyle Hamilton and Xavier McKinney can't coexist on the same field. Obviously, you have Logan Ryan right now. Well, I would assume that he will be here this year, but I don't know. They have to make a lot of calls on veterans with high contracts, but I don't see why those guys couldn't exist on this defense. Uh, and Hamilton really looks a lot you know, a lot more of a cover guy. Like, Xavier was able to play center field. I think Hamilton is kind of a go-getter. You know, go go get him. I don't think go. he's a slot, though. I don't think he's a guy that's no. going to cover slot-wide receivers. No, but I think you can play them together, and the range he showed. I know McKinney showed some range. Oh, no, I agree with that. But I've seen some plays. Look, let's be honest. If you're not willing to take that gamble or take that risk at the high ceiling guy because of the low floor. Yeah, pick the guy you know is going to be good. you got to pick yeah. the good player. Yeah, I pick mean, the this, good player, yeah. They're in this position, when you assess the roster, there aren't many guys on this roster that you'd look at and say, well, he's a good player. We can't get rid of him. Well, and the question I ask, Art, and then I want to talk to you about how they're going to clear room in free agency. We're going a little long here, but that's fine. Um, if you think five years in the future – or maybe I was a little aggressive, three years in the future, when you think, all right, maybe this team has a chance to not just sneak into the playoffs in nine and seven, but maybe actually, you know, maybe we can win a playoff game. Maybe you can get to the NFC title game. What players that are on the roster right now do you feel confident will be on that roster in three years? Yeah. Um, Andrew Thomas. That's the first easy one. Xavier McKinney. That's this easy second one. Um, uh, we're going confidence. You know what? I liked what I saw from Aziz Ojolari. That's the third guy that we have, uh, too. So I, I, I think <laughs> even if he won't be the elite, the elite guy, I think he'll yep. still be on this team. Um, maybe Dexter Lawrence, but I have to see how he fits into what Wink wants to do defensively. I think you hope Kadarius Tony's one of those guys. You hope he is. But he didn't uh, show enough in year one to make yep. you think you're confident about I'm it. I'm not I get sure. It. I'm trying to go through the guys on the back end uh, as far as youth goes uh, you know I'm not sure well, all these guys like think about it, like like Leonard Williams is two years left on his contract right, right. Blake Martinez one year left on his contract even um oh boy the name's flipping out of my head the cornerback the they signed last offseason Adore. Adore Jackson thank you he's only got two years left on his contract right you know Kenny Galladay was hurt his first year there's not a lot of other names no. where you're feeling good about it so those are the guys you got to draft right yeah you, you have to replenish the roster. And they could do it, and they could do it relatively quickly. You know, there might be guys that, uh, you know, if, if you're heavily scouting-based the way Joe Shane wants to set up the personnel departments, right, you, you need to find guys. You're, you're paid to find guys. And from a Giants perspective, I'm sure there's everyone in the organization, when they look at when things have gone wrong, they just haven't been able to find those guys that hit. You know, they, they haven't even, forget about the early rounds. They need to hit late rounds. And it's a year-to-year -year thing. I mean... And again, not super, so just get a guy that can start for you and not be a, a, a hindrance. Foundation players. Yeah. And, and like Shane said, you know, look, the Giants have found their foundation players in free agency. 
and that is the worst thing you can possibly yeah, because do. because you're paying them at the top of the market. And because you're now you come back to where they are right now. Correct. And the guys that you have as foundation pieces that were just here two years ago, one year ago, brought in to contribute, now you're already looking, they're not going to be here in two years, so now we have to get rid of them. And that that basically rips your foundation down to the studs because you don't have homegrown guys. Question. And that's the problem. All right, final question before we say goodbye. We've already seen some of the cost-cutting measures yep. with Kyle Rudolph and, and Devontae Booker being out the door. Um, what else do you foresee? A prediction is the wrong way to put it, but how else, what, what are the other ways you see Joe Shane going about this shaving process on the giant salary cap? Well, Joe Shane told us the other day... Or perhaps he, I should say chopping, not shaving, giving yeah. the extent of it, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he <laughs> used the word contingency. And they were going in with multiple plans because it was, if A happens, then we move on to B. Right. And if B happens, we move on to C. If mm-hmm. A doesn't happen, we have to go to a different plan. I think, I think they'll identify some players like Sterling Shepard and Blake Martinez, guys who are core players on this team, have coming off terrible injuries now Blake is is further along presumably from the ACL than ACL than Shepard it happened like a month and a half earlier right Right. give or take something like that I think Blake was like week three wasn't it week two he was was September okay I think so I thought it was October you could be right so you know you go to them you go to their agents and Shane said he was going to do that this week at the combine reach out to agents of his own players and say what are are we going to do here what do you want to do here you know if you're Sterling Shepard would you be willing to take a, a, a heavy cut of your pay to give the Giants a salary cap relief, but also know that you stay here, you rehab here? If you can get back in October, it's a, a place that wants you here. And then you play it out and see if you can get back to where you need to be. Because if you go back on the market and you say, no, I'm taking my money, my guaranteed money, and I'm going to go elsewhere – you're going on the market with a torn Achilles in December. Yeah, he he's not he's, he's not, not getting a big contract. He's, no. You know, so that that I think that's what they'll try to do first. I think there are obvious guys. You know, I, I hate to throw names out there. No, and you stuff, don't have but, to if you don't want to. That's but, fine. No, no, no. But look, like uh, you know, Riley Dixon, the fact that he stayed on the roster last year with the salary hit that he the, the cap number he had was really absurd when it the, it did not match the performance. So you're, I think it's two million dollars for for Riley Dixon. I mean, I don't see any way he can be on this team this year you know there are guys where uh like Kyle Rudolph it it, it really you know it it sucks Kyle Rudolph's a great guy and he would have been a great fit in this organization exactly what they would want uh in a guy in a giant yeah but it just didn't work out so I think you'll see him kind of calculated wise go around and try to get guys to to take minimum deals maybe with some incentives on the back end and then say, you know, we want you here. And if they don't, it's handshake, thank you for all you've done for this organization, and and move on. And I think, you know, you, Sterling and, and Blake are two guys that I really think are in those positions. You know, Blake Martinez has to decide. Is he is he going to be the, the centerpiece of this defense with a new defensive coordinator coming off an ACL. And what does Wink Martindale think of him as a middle linebacker too, right? Thing. Does he fit the prototype of what Wink Martindale wants? Right. You know, the Giants don't have guys on the roster where you all of a sudden say, look, well, you, you've got this rookie who was around and now all of a sudden we're going to throw him in there. You know, is Tay Crowder the guy? Does Wink Martindale believe in Tay Crowder? You're talking about Mr. Irrelevant. 
you know, nobody's attached to Tay Crowder. Was Tay Crowder emerging as a player or was Tay Crowder the only option to kind of step in for Blake Martinez? I think that's kind of what they have to decide. I think you'll see, I don't want to say bargain guys, but Shane did mention, you know, they'll seek out some uh, veteran salary benefit guys that might come on, that they might be able to get on. He also said the one-year prove-it deals for maybe high draft picks that didn't pan out elsewhere. I think Mm -hmm. you'll see some of those guys mix and match. You're going to really rely on the scouting of Joe Shane and Brandon Brown. Let's not forget him because he did a great job with the scouting in Philly. Uh, And I think ultimately the guys that are on this roster, it's kind of back to ground zero. You got to prove it. Two big players you omitted from that description were James Bradbury and Saquon Barkley. Um, Just give me your feel for what the equation is when you're deciding what to do with those two guys. Uh, I think James Bradbury, I'd call up Vegas right now and I'd say Patrick Graham loves James Bradbury. He's a big part of his defense. We don't know how he's going to fit necessarily money-wise or into what Wink Martindale wants on the back end. Uh, Give me a a day-two pick and... You know, we'll give you a great player, a pro, will come and make your defense better. Uh, so I would be surprised if Bradbury's on this team this year, not because of the player he is. Or the guy that he is. Or the guy the that yeah. he is, but I just think they they might want to reconstruct a little bit on the back end. Math is math, right? Yeah. I mean. Yeah. As far as Saquon Barkley, look, it, it's, a, it's an easy decision, but it's a tough decision. If you look at Saquon Barkley and you say you are not going to give him a long-term extension, then you need to assess what he's going to give you this year, what is his role on this team this year, and what will you be getting back. Now, if you need that $7 million, that's an easy $7 million to get as your salary cap. And you might have to bite the bullet a little bit and say, if somebody picks up the phone and says, hey, I'll give you a fifth-round pick, right. do you really want to swallow that? You know, do, do, are the, is Giants ownership ready to swallow that? Does Joe Shane really want to do that? Because that right. does really take away from the whole still compete this year type of thing. That it, is that is does. pulling the rug out from under that a little bit, well, right? Well, you know what? In but he part, hasn't been healthy either. So. In part it is, but also if maybe they look at the running back room and they say, you know what, we think we can get this guy elsewhere. What running back room? Right, well, there's nobody, right? <laughs> I mean, see that table with empty chairs yeah. right over there? I mean, but, but now we talk about the draft. You and I talked about this. Right. This morning all the guys were out there. You try to find that running back. Yeah, Devin Singletary in round four or whatever. Exactly. And nah. I think that's kind of where, you know, look, the the last best productive running back the Giants had before Saquon's rookie year was Orleans Darkwell had a great year. No, I was going to say Brandon year. Jacobs was well, the big guy. We'll but go even, even back. What do you yeah. say? Mid, day three pick? Yeah. Yeah. So Day three pick. I, look, I, do I think Saquon Barkley would be on this team this year? I do. Uh, I don't think... Uh, you know, it's a risk for the other teams as well. Sure. You know, look, maybe Brandon Bean comes. You know, he joked the other day about we're all the guys that that the Giants took from Buffalo. Maybe we need to steal some guys from from the Giants. You know, maybe Brandon Bean says, you know what, we think we think Saquon Barkley at seven million dollars for a team that's on the on the precipice of a Super Bowl yeah. is worth it. Yeah. Hey, Joe, we'll give you we'll give you a three, and we'll give you a conditional pick for next year. Why don't you give us Saquon? Trade him up here. He's out of your division. You don't have to see him, and we'll move on from there. Give Saquon an opportunity, and then next year Saquon's a free agent, and we'll see where he goes. So, you know, look, I think he'll be here. I think the Giants, sentimentality-wise, want him here. 
Uh, but it's a hard decision, and it's probably the hardest decision that they'll have to make uh, in from the emotional stand of the point of things. But I do think business-wise, it just makes too much sense to kind of start over. Rapid fire. Sorry, all right. I mean, don't drop you. No, You're no, done. go ahead. You're good. Yeah, I'm done. Ra- rapid fire. Uh, predictions at five and seven. Way too early. Oof. Um, it is. You don't have to give. Just give me. You don't have to tell me why. You can just give me two names because it's so ridiculously early. There's really no rhyme or reason behind it at this oh, point, man. anyway. I know. I know. Um, you know what? I, I'll go, and I take a little bit of this from uh, DJ Daniel Jeremiah. I think the Giants go edge at five, and I'm going to say Trayvon Walker Ooh, blows it uh-huh. up he could. at the combine. Mm-hmm. And because of Thibodeau's slide, that'll be a big thing for Giants fans to focus on. You know, why did they pass on Thibodeau? I don't think the two O tackles will, will yep. get to five. I think Kyle Hamilton might go to the Jets at four. Uh, and then you look at, I mean, so I think that's the top five. The Neil, two, yeah. I think the, the two tackles, Hutchinson, Hutchinson Hamilton, Hamilton, and now the Giants are sitting there. What do they do? And I think they'll they'll go for who would be the best edge on their board, total package. I go Trayvon Walker. If Hamilton was there, would you have given him Hamilton? I probably would Okay, and how about, how about seven? Mm-hmm. Uh, at seven, you know <laughs> what? I, I might go, I, if I can't trade back a couple spots to take one of the offensive linemen, like a, a Penning, uh, you know, that Spencer Brown comparison, mm-hmm. I love it, the Northern Iowa I probably would go uh, corner and Sauce Gardner sauce. from from Cincinnati, and just go go forward. I got two defensive guys. Now I have my the meat and potatoes of my day two, day three, and I will just build the offensive line from there. Use those picks, use my scouting, and just knock out home run after home run on day two. And now I have my offensive line, and I have those two defensive studs to give Wink to kind of get this defense rolling in a positive direction forward. Sometimes we'll be talking about this when I join Art on his podcast as soon as we're done here. <laughs> so make sure you guys go check that out too. Art, good stuff, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Schmel. Art Stapleton from The Record. Check out his podcast, the All In Giants Top Pass, that was called? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> all In with Art Stapleton. All In with Art Stapleton. Thank you. Make sure I get it right. I want to make sure people know. We all have All In podcasts. Know what to search for. Yes, apparently. Uh, for Art and all of our guests, we had Austin Gale, Madeline Burke, Colleen Wolf, Chris Brown, Fran Duffy, and of course, Art Stapleton. I'm John Schmel. And make sure you check out the Giants Huddle Podcast. Yesterday, we had Jordan Reed. Today, Mike Tannenbaum from ESPN, former NFL general manager, will be popping up on the Giants Huddle. And then, of course, we have one more live episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live tomorrow at noon. Make sure you check it out. It's all brought to you by AWS, Amazon Web Services, proud partner of the New York Football Giants. We'll see you on Friday at noon for our final episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis.